Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the church bell in the distance. And listen, just a bit more, and you'll hear the sound of a maiden crying. Or is it her ghost? And if you listen a bit harder, you might hear laughter, or perhaps tears of a small child. And beyond that, I think I hear an organ in the chapel, where I do believe a good man may have died. Or perhaps they're summoning a bad man to be alive again. Yes, it is I, Earl Price, one of your hosts of Pod Like a Hole. I do believe the last time we spoke was when we discussed the scariest of monsters in our books. And I am back again to welcome you to the Pod Like a Whole Space Podity Halloween Special. Some kind of spooktacular of some sort. was frightened the schools and, the in the hop. and the zombies all and to my right is Eric Erie Anderson and to my left if you look quick enough and you catch him is macabre Mark Branstad and if you listen right now you'll hear the three of us discuss some kind of list of things that we might find scary or spooky or haunting. I'm not quite sure. But we wanted to record an episode for you, dear listeners, around the holiday season. Because we don't have anything better to do and we faced a lot of terrifying editing problems with our last episodes. So here we are to discuss Top five spooky, scary, haunting things of some sort or another. Welcome. Hey, uh, Steve, that was really good, um, but you got my uh, scary name wrong here. Check the chat. Uh, this is what I would try that again with with but with my correct uh, scary name. Just in the same screen we're in right it's now. It's in the same screen. I, I'm seeing I'm it. It's, it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. We got rid of... Uh, Whatever I called him last time. And unfortunately, it wasn't for good. Uh, now we have Scaric Disembodied Henderson. <laughs> Thank you which, so much. Well, well folks, <clears throat> I do have to tell you that our friend Eric does work in the school district, and Mr. Henderson is what the kids call him behind his back. <laughs> uh, maybe he's making a reference to uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, maybe he's, uh, implying that I'm a creep, a creeper. Ah, hey, what the hell? It's the holidays. Yes, but, but here, here we are because, um, I, I wanted to, to do a B-side that we could release in Halloween. So let's do it. Yeah, I know let's do it. Mark, 
Mark has struggled mightily with this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, so we want, and we let me explain why. Spooky, yeah, we want to talk about spooky music. I mean, what could be more fun, Mark? What's your what's your beef, man? You know. So everything with spooky music, I do get um, that sounds from the graveyard uh, type vibe, like clanking chains and singers who are singing like like this. Um, and we've already discovered, uh, discussed Marilyn Manson and Skinny Puppy, and I'm sure we're going to discuss them even more this evening. Um, <laughs> so I know that for you two, the well is probably deep. For me, it was like, I just can't really get into the spooky music genre. Um, it's all kind of a, it's, it, it's more for theatrical effect and for those theatrical effects i if there's not really strong music behind it i tend to roll my eyes and even those two bands that i just name checked i still don't quite get like the uh this is so fucking badass man this is great i'm chilled to the bone it's more of like well this is fun mark you're a a massive Marilyn manson fan how could you say that way more so than me like you, oh, like he, you just, he just, he just, he just, were you listening to him? He just, uh, you're now again, you're showing the same listening skills you don't have that all your students tell me about is that he said that he loves the He loves the music, but the aspect of it, he doesn't get as much is the, the theater. Uh, when he, when he watches them. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I myself, I, I no shocker to anybody. I, I'd love over-the-top theatrics with my music. Sometimes I'll give a band a little more credit if the music is not as good, if they're really blowing my mind on stage. But um, I get where Mark's coming from, even if I'm not Mark. So there you are. So let me say this. Um, There's albums of Marilyn Manson, even where he's doing the spooky ogre voice. Um, But because there's more behind it, I don't necessarily need um, the stage show. So I'm sure like, okay, here's the deal. Um, I, I don't really want to get ahead of things here a little bit. Um, are either of you going to be talking about the, the band ghost tonight? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Okay. So maybe I'll wait for that discussion to to commence because, when I hear them on record, I'm just like, they're okay. But from what I hear from you guys, the stage show is when it really gets all brought together. And for me, like I need it. I need a little bit more than having a blue man group experience or a Cirque du Soleil experience. I, I, I want to be able to listen to them in my car and be like, that's a great song. Um, you see, now we're, we're going to talk about them later now. And uh, mainly because Eric said so, because I knew it would be too predictable if I brought him up. So thank you, Eric. But uh, all right, we'll have a little discussion about that. Yeah. I, get, I get where Mark's coming from, and we'll talk about that yeah. more. Um, as things go, it, it is once again where I definitely think this is fun because we are definitely three si- – three, I'm on one far side of the spectrum. I think Eric's in the middle, and this time Mark's on the other side. So it makes for here, – here we go. But we did, we did bring it out to uh, – this is just – Top five uh, fucking Halloween type spooky, haunting, scary things we like. Not just band related, correct? Yeah, I, I kind of blew it out a little bit. Things that either uh, 
creep me out or are just spooky in nature. Even if I'm smiling the whole time, I still get enjoyment out of it. So, yeah. Before we dive in, can I can I uh, ask you both a question? Do you have this is this is a this is like a second day in the job question. Do you have a Halloween memory that stands out to you? Huh. I mean, when I was young uh, is when I did most of my Halloween when I lived in the suburbs. But when I lived out in the countryside, I didn't really have like your typical Halloween. Uh, so from like second grade all the way up to high school, um, I didn't go out trick or treating. I didn't do Halloween parties so much. Um, so right now for me, my most memorable Halloween is getting to watch my kids being able to do the whole trick or treating thing and going, um, through with them since I've moved back to the burbs. So not really one thing in particular. How about you? Well, do you guys do a little, do you do like a a trick or treating thing there in your, your compound? Uh, yeah, we also go to some neighboring, uh, neighborhoods. Excellent. That makes sense, and I, I do agree with you. I had a lot of fun uh, when we started taking Towns out for trick-or-treating. He's just – last year was the first year he really got it. Um, if I had one in particular, it was during my San Francisco decade where I, it was also back when I was in <clears throat> the best shape of my life. And I decided for Halloween one year I'd be Raphael from the Ninja Turtles. And I I wore very skimpy – undergarments and then painted my whole body green it went to work this way and everywhere i went to work that day i left a green stain if i sat down there was a green ass stain if i touched something on the wall there was a green hand stain back to your blue man group thing it was like a uh, <laughs> it was like uh, tobias from arrested <laughs> development and um i didn't even really, really 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 realize it till halfway through the day that i was annoying the shit out of everybody by doing this but what are you gonna do and uh i thought i was really dedicated to my costume that year but some asshole from the second floor uh, won the contest dressed up as uh, Maud Lebowski from the dream sequence of Big Lebowski when she was dressed like a Viking. So, but I, 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 really, I really like my, my, my Raphael. So costume. two things on that anecdote. Uh, one, um, Steve, that doesn't just happen on Halloween, the green ass stain. And two, uh, the, ah! you were robbed, my friend. You were robbed. You committed to the role of putting green... Which, if you were an actual Ninja Turtle, I'm pretty sure that's against... Uh, that's like wearing blackface in their eyes. <laughs> yes. So, good on you, my friend. That's courage right there. Um, you can never run for Canadian Prime Minister, though. <laughs> we know that much. And my, my wife was April O'Neil and my coworker was Shredder. It was a... It was a good year. Oh, boy. That's like a Pornhub video right there at the end of the night. I've thought about it. I mean, wait. No. Uh, Eric, what about you? Oh, Speaking of costume contests, when I was in fifth grade, I won my school costume contest um, because a little film called Sister Act came out, and I dressed like a nun, and I got, I got, a, lot of, uh, got a lot of attention. So, uh, you know, that was a great costume. Did you do the Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> blackface? Like... <laughs> no. Did you no. pull a Ted dancing? I, I, I didn't. I was just me in a nun outfit, but Sister Act was all the rage. So uh, you know, I put it on. I probably sang a couple 
couple songs, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was something. Well, <laughs> during that time, I believe there was a movie called Nuns on the Run, starring Eric sure, Idle and sure. uh, the other British guy that was probably in a Harry Potter movie. I want to say his name is sure. Robbie Coltrane, maybe. You're right. Yep, Hagrid, Robbie Coltrane. You're absolutely right. Or if you're friends, or you're a fan of BBC detective work, you might remember him as Pepper. But yes. Um, and uh, speaking of which, oh god, yeah. Go on. I finished the. Uh, in case you guys were wondering, I did finish the fifth season of uh, Peaky Blinders, and oh boy, did it end on a cliffhanger. Good to know. Good to Good know. know. You brought the B- you brought the BBC up. I'm sorry. I think that's a Netflix show, right? It's also on the BBC. Yeah, area. it gets BBC goes first, and then Netflix months later. Oh, uh, get, Netflix gets the sloppy seconds. Good to know. Yep. Um, yeah, that uh, that Dolomite that Dolomite movie is on Netflix this weekend. By the way, it looks oh, good. Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta watch that. Yeah. Uh, as an adult, um, I did go to San Francisco one, uh, early adulthood. I, 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 I had a, a girlfriend at the time and we went and it was, it was like an orgy everywhere, everywhere you looked. It was crazy. Um, it just, uh, Halloween is, is something in the city. I'll tell you that right now. Um, Steven can tell you about that. Memorable. Yep. <laughs> no Ninja Turtle uh, porn though. But, uh, but I, uh, most memorable as an adult was probably when we all lived together, Steve, off uh, V Street, and we threw that we threw that Halloween party where we had uh, there was like some decorations and fog machines, and there was like video. There's TVs playing like Dario Argento movies in every room, and and that was that was pretty fun. Mm. That was that was a good time. So we we did have a good time um, living together. That's that was right before things went south. And um, no, San Francisco, yeah, you know all the oh, it, it's. For a second, you think it's cool, the Halloweens in the St. Patty's Days, and then God. Then you got your, your Folsom Street Fairs, your Santa Cons, your Beta Breakers, and you realize one day that every weekend there's an excuse that people take to get in just mobs and travel from one side of the city to the other drinking all day long, and it's exhausting. So anyhow, I had to go. Uh, just one last comment and we can get into this is I, I do, I don't know if I can speak for anybody else here. I do, um, appreciate spooky stuff. Um, I'm kind of with Mark, uh, in the sense that like, if it's all flash and no substance, you know, what's the, what's the point? Um, but, uh, I do like, I'm, I'm a pretty big horror movie fan, but it has to be good horror. And I think horror more than any other genre is way more misses than hits. You really have to dig through stuff to find something good. But when it's good, it hits you on like a visceral level, which I think is, is probably why I like it for the experience. Um, so that being yeah. said, I would have loved to have talked about some horror movies, but I get, I just stuck to bands today because I thought that's what we were doing. But I'm glad Mark has something else to talk about. Oh. So what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pair each of my bands with a good movie to watch with it. And I'm going to do that on the spot. So we'll see how I do. Oh, thanks a lot, Mark. Um, yeah, no, but, but, but what you're saying, Eric, is true, and I'm not a. You're more of a horror movie the guy than I am, but when I do like a horror movie, it really it really sticks with me, and um, that's why Evil Dead Two is one of my favorite movies. Even though that's more of a horror comedy, but still, that's, horror I, comedies I think count. They count. Yeah, that's that's like in the top twenty movies of all time. No hyperbole, I tell you. And uh, I was yeah, 
Uh, I was going to say something else. I can't remember now. So edit that out. All, All right. right. Round so, one. Round one of Halloween talk things. Eric, we're going to start with you. I heard you just crack a beer. You know that's against the rules. So be <laughs> careful for the rest of the night. Not on All Hallows Eve. Anything goes, including cracking a beer with Steve around. All right. Uh, my number five is let's just get it out of the way. I did put Ghost on scary uh but the way that uh the ghost creates uh devotional music to satan lyrically if you just looked at the lyrics you'd assume you'd be you'd be digging into some black metal but it's very accessible um very accessible uh almost like hard rock meets metal and the guy's voice he sings like an angel um when steve first turned me on to them many years ago I did appreciate it for that on, um, you know, on listening to it on wax and then also watching their music videos. I think I appreciated a little more the spectacle and the reverence for old horror genres like the, the video for the song, um, Seriously. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the stars inside. You. Looks like uh, it could have been directed by Argento. It's, it's an awesome music video, uh, but then seeing it live, put it all together, um, and the way they they celebrated the the macabre, made it fun. Um, every single song, even ones I, I, uh, was, um, I always enjoyed, but never dug deep into just came alive when he played it live. Um, quite a performer, that guy. Um, and I th I'm sure Steve has all the names and faces, uh, but, uh, ghost is a great way to celebrate the, uh, the dark and evil in a, in a, in a very fun way. And, uh, yes, they are, they are, they are a spectacle as Mark calls them, the Andrew Lloyd Webber of metal and i am okay with that yeah. i am absolutely okay with that i mean i've seen some of their performances uh on like I, they did one on the late show with stephen colbert now it wasn't bad but it was just like i couldn't necessarily sit through a whole album and i have tried to sit through a whole album and i just it's as bombastic as meatloaf with the theatrical style of andrew lloyd webber putting on phantom of the opera so I just, uh, it wasn't my cup of tea. Um, I could see the appeal. I could see the attraction. Um, but maybe one of these days I'll finally come around. Because I like some silly, spooky stuff. But on the surface level, it seems that this is the only thing they really got going on. Um, I know that both of you have said, oh, man, they've got 
some great songs in their catalog. You just haven't uh, unearthed them yet. Well, and, and I don't know how, how deep their songs are. So if you're looking for that, I don't think you're going to find it. It's all definitely playing into the pastiche of devotional music for Satan pretty much through and through. Um, but uh, you may, you I, may I, like, you may like their new album. Their new album is very, it's got a pop sheen to it that Mark, I know you can't turn your nose up on a, on a top 40. Absolutely. Top if it's 40 got sound. a hook, man, it's uh, I'm in. Every song on their on that on their new album has a has a pretty catchy. And what is that titled? So, anyways, that that new one is uh, uh, what's that one called? Um, pra, shit, Prelude. No, it's, what the fuck? no, it's called it's called Prequel. Prequel. And yeah, no, that's that's their most accessible album. <clears throat> so you think I should the start one where there? They got super popular. I think I think if you listen to that album from beginning to end, if if by the end of it you're like, yeah, I'm not gonna know. And that's fine. It's just not for you, and that's fine. Not everything is for everyone. But I do think, for whatever reason, I do think that maybe that uh, you might like them more than you think. But uh, I, I, yeah, that's that's a band that I, for whatever reason, that band, when people get into them, they really seem to get into them. And I, I think part of it is they, they are unique in the way they do blend the, the spooky also with the totally camp. They're totally campy at the same time. That we're right with the Andrew Lloyd Webber thing, and they'll they'll admit it. I mean, it's all just one. It's it's a it's a main guy. His name is Tobias uh, like Funke. <laughs> His name is very similar to the guy from Arrested Development. Um, <laughs> Tobias Forge. I'm sorry. His name is Tobias Forge. Forge. And yeah. uh, he 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 writes and plays the majority of the music on the albums, and he rotates the people out. Um, he has a touring band he keeps, and then now and then on the albums, there's another uh, group of musicians he works with. And uh, I think the earlier stuff is not. I, I get where Eric's saying about the devotional like Satan thing, which I. I, I do appreciate those songs. Um, but through and through, I think there's some other uh, types of storytelling that do go on. Um, the earlier stuff, I think, is is a little rawer and a little bit more. You could, They wear their influences more on their sleeves, uh, a bit more. He's very much a King Diamond guy, um, and you can really see that in the first album. And their first few albums, I mean, what I, what I really liked is that the gimmick wore off. But and it was a gimmick, is that they used to, they all still wear masks, but nobody knew who he was. And when they first started their few few albums, he used to dress up like an undead pope, and he looked like a zombie out of something from a uh, like a 1930s movie, and he would kind of just like slowly walk out onto stage and have this ominous presence. That I thought was great. Then it kind of, as they got more popular, he became kind of a dancing nymph. <laughs> Wouldn't you say, Eric? You know, oh, when we saw him, yeah, he looked like Zorro. He looked like, uh, yeah, exactly. He looked yeah. like uh, he looked like the evil Zorro. Yeah, no, it was. It yeah, was and, and and they started embracing like more eighties uh, pulsing synths and and uh, bombastic guitar solos and whatnot. Uh, but it, it is just a big rock opera show. Meatloaf isn't too far off at times. Uh, but for whatever reason, when they strike a chord with some people, they really get into them. And they are the kind of band where people are like, "Have you heard of Ghost?" And uh, they, I, I, I assume there's been 
people in Mark's shoes that are like, I just don't get this, but my friends won't shut up. So, but uh, that, that that new album, Mark, you might like it. Give I'll it give it a day in court. It's all right. If I, if I had if I had to pair Ghost to a movie, I guess there's so many choices. Uh, part of me wants to say uh, uh, the film Demons, uh, which is an Italian horror film from the 80s, which so 80s, especially with the new Ghost album, uh, where uh, demons crawl out of a horror movie in a movie theater and attack all these 80s yuppies. It's, it's absolutely preposterous. But if I had to think about Tobias as a character from a movie, I think of the film The Witch, and you only see the devil for about 30 seconds where he pops up. He looks like Nick Jagger in this weird old uh, Pilgrim film, and he says, would you like to live deliciously? And it's it, 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 it definitely captures the, the, the Tobias uh, uh, Pope, of, Pope of Evil in that scene. So there you yeah. go. They they did start coming up through like the real uh, metal scene, if you will, and um, they I, I do remember when I did live in San Francisco is when I was getting into them, and I was talking to my friend Jeff, who Jeff's a total like real uh, uh, like metalhead of like you know the guy the guy he he wants to he he wants to l- listen to the most underproduced black metal from the coldest place in the land. And uh, he, he was into them at the time, and they definitely got really big really fast. And I think a lot of people got out of them, uh, a lot of that liked them, just because for whatever reason they were like, oh, God, these guys are too popular now. And they are very popular. Like, they're, they're definitely uh, – are Hot Topics still around? I think they're still around. Are they still around? Yeah, I, I, I was at a middle school today, and I saw a kid with a ghost shirt on. Okay, so. yeah, and I, my little son wears a ghost shirt. And, uh, but the, the first song they got really popular with was called Ritual. I think that song is actually also a great place to start. Just that song, Ritual. It is a very special song. Uh, so that's a fun one. But Mummy Dust? I don't think you start with money, but Mummy Dust. That's more <laughs> no, of- I, just, I, just enjoy that. I just enjoy that track quite a bit. All, All right. right. Uh, next person, go. I'll, I'll go. We'll, we'll have Mark. We'll, Mark will round up. Um, <clears throat> mine is a very, uh, very well-known band, and uh, – it's one to different uh, levels. I think both of you guys uh, do enjoy probably not as much as me, but it's a, uh, it's good old iron maiden. And of course, iron maiden, they started way back in 75. And the only consistent member has been their bassist, Steve Harris. When I do think of iron maiden, you know, Bruce Dickinson is the one the majority of us think of the vocalist for the majority of the band and his soaring operatic vocals are really what, what uh, gets you when you're you're thinking of these dark operatic songs and they're almost as much of an opera of whatever is going on at my neighbor's house she's still talking about taco tree i think but now she's doing some kind of moans possibly chants i am really not sure what's going on with gina tonight uh, eric uh just a do me a favor, and if I uh, disappear, uh, tell my wife and kid I love them. And uh, Iron Maiden might not be the first band you think of when you think of you know, scary and spooky things. But when I was a kid, uh, my dad was an Iron Maiden fan, and I was captivated by the artwork on their albums. And it was the first time I really remember like thinking that something related to music could take you to a weird, spooky, demonic place. You look at those old, and they were made, man, 
Iron Maiden albums were made for record sleeve albums. You you would you could pick one up and just stare at it and see all these little details of people crawling out of graves or a demon in the background flying around. And uh, that visual element was there. And of course, they had the mascot, Eddie, who was kind of a zombie. And he's everybody knows who Eddie is. And Eddie really stuck with me. And I liked the idea of Eddie, but like Eddie also scared the shit out of me. And on top of that, I Iron Maiden just had some great metal songs that were melodic but hard. But also, they would take you to these places that were pretty cheesy, but also at the same time, awesomely spooky. I mean, you've got, I think Iron Maiden did more to popularize the number 666 than anybody else did on this planet. And uh, very often, Bruce Dickinson would 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 sink back into this operatic voice that was like i guess like an andrew lloyd weber type thing uh somebody yelling a very important story at you that might be about uh people dying on a battlefield or something crawling out of a grave i just uh i don't know the the element of bloody tales of warfare and possession matched with their album covers struck a chord with me when i was like 5 years old and i i, I think uh, I never got fully away so Iron Maiden's my number five. I, uh, I don't have a lot to say about them. You, you turned me on to them the first time I realized their value was sitting in your and Mark's, uh, your, your apartment in old Roseville. And Steve played a live version of the trooper and did a one man complete rock out air guitar, uh, version. And I was captivated by both Steven and the song. <laughs> and now uh, that the, is, yeah, the trooper is a good one. Yeah. If you really, uh, if you really want to pinpoint, if you really want to pinpoint, where I'm coming from with how I were to, th- I, I think of Iron Maiden in October. It's definitely listen to the song Phantom of the Opera. That's the one, man. That uh, that really put, puts it all together for me. And I will say, I saw we I saw him live just the one time you took me in like 2003, and um, it was like an album cover come alive. Though they had the big Eddie puppet, like the giant oversized Eddie puppet like ch- clomping down the stairs and on the stage and yeah it was something Mark, do you have do you have Maiden opinions? Uh, yeah, no, I've always uh, appreciated Iron Maiden. Um, I was introduced to them even before meeting you um, through one of my sister's old ex boyfriends. Uh, he had quite the music collection, and he was a Maiden fan. And so I borrowed some of his cassette tapes um, early on as I was kind of learning and discovering music. And I'm right there with you. Um, the first uh, self titled record, I think their first record is self titled. Yes, am I wrong? Yes, it yeah. is. No, there's, I think it's Iron Maiden and then Killers. Yeah, the I remember one. borrowing those two. And um, 
uh, the album cover is basically, you know, you got Eddie who's certainly in full zombie mode rather than kind of the this this character that uh, is going through time and um, is now kind of just their mascot. Um, but I've always appreciated Iron Maiden, and I uh, happened to meet you in high school. I remember sophomore year we shared a world history class, and in that world history class, our teacher, um, who I don't know if he's still around with us this day and age, um, but he had this musical intro idea where we had to pick a song of some sort of meaningful value, play it in front of the class, and then um, analyze it, describe it, and uh, uh, talk about it. Um, Steven decides to play uh, any chance that he got. He used the uh, musical intro as a way to talk about his favorite music. And I believe you picked Aces High on one of them. Is that right? No, close but no cigar, my friend. It was much longer than that. It was Hallowed Be which is like There you go. Long. And I remember as it was reaching minute six, Mr. Davidson starts walking towards the boombox. <laughs> He was, he was like, yeah, is this going to go on? How much longer is this going to go on? <laughs> it's got three more guitar solos, and then we'll, we'll call it. Um, but uh, that was a fun one. Because not only did you have to bring the song in, you had to uh, get the lyrics, photocopy them onto uh, transparent paper, and then put it on the overhead so the entire class could follow along with the lyrics. And I just <laughs> remember just Steve sitting in his chair pretending like the rest of the class didn't exist and just rocking out while everyone else was just like, okay. <laughs> oh, please, Steve with a, Steve with a, a forced captive audience to listen to a, to, to a song. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's, that's his a bread and butter. I mean, that's yeah. his currency. That's what he deals and barters in. Some, someone, some could say that's why we do this podcast. Um, but that's my big, um, uh, memory of iron maiden they're a great band um they're a band that i don't have the entire catalog memorized but uh i remember trying to do a run through but there was only certain albums available on some of the streams so i wasn't able to do a full run through and then yeah there's dragons there too if you're not careful uh <laughs> the the early 90s and then uh, bruce dickinson left for a while and then came back to the band and uh some of the solo work actually we talked about it when we talked about all the young dudes but they in the in the aughts, their albums aren't bad, but they're all really really progressive, and they always like <laughs> all of them clock in at like you know ninety minutes long. That's so just all right, guys. The, they're making me feel like Mr. Davidson, who was that teacher? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, full circle, full circle. So yeah, a good pick. Uh, certainly appropriate for a Halloween show. So my turn. Um, I don't really have a top five in the sense of I have the five things that I'll just talk about in random order. Um, I'll start with uh, a television show um, that was introduced to me through syndication. And uh, I never really stayed up late to watch it. We set the uh, VCR and recorded it. This is before we even had basic cable or even cable. And that would be Tales from the Crypt. Um, 
there's something so silly and goofy about this show um, with obviously the Crypt Keeper introductions. Um, oh, his his puns are our brand, Mark. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but the <laughs> the content that lies within, um, there were some elements where not only did it have some comedy, but there were some things that were actually kind of spooky and, you know. Um, I don't remember watching either one of the movies. I may have watched Demon Knight, but I know I did not watch Bordello of Blood, um, starring Dennis Miller. And I'm sure he was just saying <laughs> cha-cha and uh, talking about, you know, Nancy <laughs> Pelosi. <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. Um I think uh, Corey Feldman's in that oh, one boy. too, and it's a it's a very much an erotic an erotic adventure. I didn't have time in my research. Oh. I should have. Um, I understand that there is a uh, there's a music video of the Crypt Keeper rapping called the Crypt Jam. Oh, motherfucker! That song is great. That's a great... <laughs> and by great, I mean you'll never forget it once you see it once. It's something. I'm going to put a little clip in this episode right about yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I... that was not great. <laughs> so yeah, I can't wait to get off mic and actually watch the music video. But uh, uh, what do you guys think of Tales from the Crypt? I didn't have HBO uh, when it was in its prime, but I remember going to a friend's house who had it and watching um, a particular episode where a vulture pecks a guy's eyeball out while he's like trapped under rocks. And uh, uh, being totally creeped out by it and then revisiting it later and realizing like, yeah, they got Robert Zemeckis and they got like awesome directors and a really good cast and pretty good special effects for the time. And it was it was a cut or two above your average like late night scare shows, i.e. Um, your Tales from the Dark Sides. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Uh, Tales from the Dark Side. I never actually got... Uh... That was just a movie, or was that also a TV show? Oh, that was a show. Oh, it was a show. Okay. For, yeah, it was a low budget, late night, late night uh, anthology show. Uh, I remember it had this, this theme song yeah. that was. I, oh, the theme God. song is, you know, there are places that you can't quite see beyond your peripheral. And there is an other side, yeah, a dark side. During the day, there is light, but at night, there is dark, and there is a dark <laughs> side. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> it has this, this creepy music playing, and then when he says, there is a dark side, they drain the color out of the screen, and it goes, <laughs> it's the most scary goddamn uh, opening to the movie show. These vegetables are going to come alive to you. Yeah, it's, you know, there's an episode where this lady came. Oh, shit, like creep show. Yeah, this lady can't quit eating food, and then the food comes alive and eats her. That's the kind of uh Speaking of scary things, 
Um, the VHS uh, cover of Creepshow, uh, the movie, the Stephen King movie, used to scare the shit out of me in oh, yes. the video stores. Oh, yeah. Anytime I walked by that, it was basically a skeleton inside like a uh, ticket taken box. It was the stuff of nightmares. You know, the actual video stores had a lot of scary shit in them that kids don't got to put up with these days. I I loved going into the horror section in a video. I could never, my parents would never let me rent anything, but I loved looking at the covers in the horror section. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, Creepshow. You know, Creepshow was all right. It was kind of goofy. I mean, you had Stephen King uh, growing moss on his genitals. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, what, what the real fucking terror was, was Cat's Eye. <laughs> oh, God damn fucking movie, man. <laughs> What? That movie. Like the first, uh, the first few sections were, you know, whatever. But that goddamn troll coming out and stealing Drew Barrymore's breath at, breath at night, that was the scariest thing to me as a kid. Oh, no. Dude, Cat's oh. Eye, just walking by and seeing that fucking, like, cat and then the troll thing. Uh, yes. Fuck. That might still scare me today if I think about it too much. <laughs> I remember oh. one time I sat... Yeah. And my, my great-grandma had a really old house in Lincoln, California, and I watched that damn thing. And then I was so horrified by that fucking troll that I took a chair and put it right in the middle of her kitchen and just sat there. And she came in and asked what I was doing. And I said, I just need to – like I, I said something along the lines of like, I, I need to see all the walls at the same time. Because I, <laughs> I, I can't have one of these trolls sneaking out of the wall when I'm not looking. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, oh man! Uh, to, to answer your question, I love uh, Tales from the Crypt. I haven't seen—I've probably seen twenty episodes tops, but I, I liked every one of them, and I just love the Crypt Keeper. Period. So, yes. Uh, that's a great story. Nice. All right, uh, Eric, take it away. All right, my number four uh, is one I don't talk about much, but it's something I discovered in my forays into electronic music. Um, and it is, uh, uh, when you listen to it, you hear very sparse beats that are made up of off timing, echoey drums, um, and things that sound like chains or dirt hitting the ground, uh, echoing over and over. Um, and then they cut in some vocal samples that are tweaked and edited to sound very, very haunting over strings. Um, the artist is named William Emanuel Bevan, and he goes by the name Burial. them for their creepiness every song sounds like it could soundtrack a haunting um and just very fun like low tempo uh electronic electronic music so what, what is it called burial huh. I, i've i have never heard of this before it could just be their name but um yeah their 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 music their music has a haunting quality to it some stuff when they get a little faster tempo kind of loses that but their first couple albums definitely are are 
are are stuck in the dark in the darkness, which I enjoy. And is this something that you got into when you turned uh, 35 and started wearing all black? Uh, I th- actually I think that's about the right age. <laughs> got it. Oh yes, the rivet head message boards. <laughs> I don't think I, this is a little is too really? techno for rivet heads. It's well, I'll check it out. More, it's more on the techno. Which album uh, do you recommend? Um, uh, what, what, yeah, what you're saying, what you're saying, actually, inter- the, anytime uh, the sound of plotting dirt is uh, used as a rhythm, I'm into it. So, right. yes, to follow up on Mark's question, where do where do we begin? Uh, so, a couple songs you could seek out are Ghost Hardware. That's a that's a pretty good one. Um, but they only have two albums. Uh, uh, the self-titled Burial from 2006 is the best one, and Untrue has some solid albums as well. But they have a lot of EPs and singles. I would stick to uh, just start with some of the earlier stuff, and if you like it, you can see some of their more up up tempo stuff. But yeah, Ghost Hardware is a great song. It's, it's a top notch. something new that's why we do these things that's right my number four is a band we've all listened to and we all like and earlier when i kept saying ah, you know this uh this is just us talking about dark and scary and maybe haunting things they definitely fall into the haunting category and that's a uh, good old joy division um not a band that you think of the you know when things go bump in the night but definitely a band you think of when you think of the darkness of humanity and uh, could things get any worse and the saddest sound in the world might be the scariest sound, which was Ian Curtis's voice. And of course, Joy Division was Ian Curtis on the vocals, but there's also Bernard Sumner, Peter Hook, and Stephen Morris who went on to become New Order later. But uh, Joy Division are the ones that really are of my soul. Much like my neighbor next door who keeps yelling things. And I, I apologize if I keep getting distracted by it because uh, I don't know what's... T- I think she said she's going to the taco tree? I, I don't know what she's up to this time. Hunting by the rivers through the streets every corner Abandoned I, 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 I probably listen to Joy Division maybe only like three times a year, but when I do, I am totally uh, into it, and um, we're not breaking any new ground by talking about them, but they're definitely up there when I think of things that are a darker shade of a pale mute when it comes to music. And to think about it, that band is so influential. I mean, my God, I think that they were pretty much the start of the... Uh, I mean, certainly they were post-punk, um, but I mean, I don't think there would be a Cure without Joy Division. I don't think there would be Bauhaus without Joy Division. I, I it's a lot yeah. of. Yeah. I think any. I think most of our favorite bands would just disappear if they didn't exist. Yeah, they they were they were yeah. amazing. Yeah, I mean, we're not we're not saying anything. Probably everybody listens to this show as a fan already or not, 
you know, some people might not like Joy Division the same way I can't stand uh, the Smiths, <laughs> but that's their problem. Yeah, um, it's like it's like they took they took post punk and then they they were like, okay, we're gonna do this, but we're gonna just reverb the shit out of everything, and um, I'm gonna sing this song like a ghost, and uh, that invented it, like not one, but or not necessarily invented, but it it carried over into like five genres of rock and uh, an alternative. Um, yeah, they're they're amazing. Yeah, if I had if I had to pick one song that really the uh, when I go back to when I think of them being at their epic most distraught best, it's a uh, new dawn fades. Oh my that's, god! That's, that's I, my I, I was about to do the countdown with you. Come on, Steve! Together, three, two, one. New dawn fades. Yes, that that's, song is so fucking good. New dawn good. fades. My favorite uh, Joy Division. Um, I mean, I don't want to say Dead Souls because we already kind of talked about that, but I love that fucking intro. Um, it would probably be Atmosphere. That song, Atmosphere, is uh, quite the quite the uh, thing. Yes. Oh. How, yeah, Atmosphere is great. They left such a mark with just what is it? Two albums and an EP. Yeah. You know, it's a uh, yeah. Uh, they were they were so good. They were great. I'm not much of a New Order guy. I probably said that before. I wish I was. But um, I've tried. Um, I like some of the early New uh, Order where there is still a little bit of that Joy Division, but yeah. some of their other stuff that occurred in the 90s, uh, what is it, Republic was an absolute mess. Some of the stuff in the 2000s, um, that song Crystal was a jam. Um, but uh, God, they've, they've had some okay so- uh, albums. I, I know Eric's wife is a big fan. Uh, I would say Power, Corruption, and Lies is unbeatable. That album is so good. Um, but yeah, they, they, yeah, but they, 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 you can't, you can't listen to everything by them. They just don't have the staying power. But that, well, that, I, that album's amazing. Yeah, I just think the part of why, you know, Joy Division was so good was it, it was, they were a good band, but a lot of it was Ian Curtis. And without him being the catalyst, they lost what I thought made them special. He seemed to, he channeled something, something. Something just very forlorn and sad into reality. It was he really his voice, man, is something. And 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 then when they performed, he was doing these spastic, weird dances while he sang. He was just uh, yeah, definitely. quite a man. Um, so. album uh singular album this is my only music selection i'll be talking about tonight uh this was my introduction to this artist which is kind of strange because it's a completely instrumental record and that instrumental record is black aria by glenn danzig um we may talk about danzig from either one of you i'm guessing more steve but i'm guessing also not um 
but uh, this album, uh, it essentially is an instrumental kind of a classical sound um, where it's all done on synthesizers. First time I heard it, um, it definitely piqued my curiosity because uh, it was it sounded evil. Um, the narrative behind it is uh, Satan's fall from heaven. Um, and it uh, uh, references a lot of John Milton's Paradise Lost uh, poem. Um, it's a good one. It's a good one. I mean, I if it, it definitely has a lot of atmosphere um, and uh, kind of has that Hall of the Mountain King kind of aspect where you're kind of imagining these things taking place rather than having the lyric take you there. Um, I do enjoy a lot of Glenn Danzig's work, um, specifically his first through four albums in Thrall Demon Sweat Live. Uh, he's very an interesting character. Uh, some of his later work, five and on, I have not delved into because um, things apparently kind of took a turn for the worst in terms of the quality. Uh, but those first four off of uh, uh, Rick Rubin's American um, recordings were quite something. Um, those things are all-time classics, but this one here actually does have a little bit of, uh, I don't know, forbo foreboding, um, a little bit more so than Dick Glendansig asking if uh, he's evil and mother, don't tell your children to go my way. And as much as I enjoy those songs and... Uh, I think that if I'm going to pick anything that kind of is more of that creepy vibe, it would be this instrumental album. That's, that album's fun, uh, and I think I mentioned to you before. There's a sequel that's yeah, it's more of the same, but I, I, I'm glad that at least it exists. It, it came out like within the last. I haven't five years. listened to that one at all. Um, I thought about it, but I was like, eh, what what more needs to be done? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, pretty much. It sounds like the other one, but in reverse. But you know, yeah, those first four records you can't beat them, and they're just really great dark rock albums. It's you know, it's like if you're listening to The Doors. Uh, and somebody, you know, sacrifices the lead singer and resurrects him. I, I love the early Danzig stuff. And the the I, I I actually am a big fan of the idea that I mean Danzig kind of became a human meme. The people that have never listened to his music know who he is, and you know he's a he, he's kind of a a Wolverine sized human being that uh, likes ridiculously dark things and doesn't seem to have a sense of humor about himself, but does have a sense right. of humor. He was on um, an episode of Portlandia. Um, yeah, that was a good yes, one. He was. That was good. Yeah. No, I, 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 sorry, go on, Steve. I was just gonna say that if anybody wants to seek out one album, I I'd actually Danzig Four was my introduction, but Danzig Three is actually the best of the first four. Oh, I think all four of them are so good. I mean, uh, I. The production is what I like about them is that they all four sound like they could have been recorded, with the exception of some of the more electronic songs on Danzig Four, of which is not overpowering, but there is some flourishes. Even though they came out over a period of about five to six years, 
they all sound really consistent to where all of the songs are about of the same quality and they all have like the same level of production value. It's a, it doesn't, it, it doesn't sound like, you know, it, it sounds like that same exact band with that same exact singer with that same exact producer yeah. did all those in one. I love his week. ballads too. Uh, like Sistina. God, that song is so good. actually haven't heard the album that you brought up mark um and i like danzig fine I, i'm not i haven't done a deep dive enough to call myself a fan um i think i, I i'm more aware of some mis- misfit stuff but um that being said somewhere there's a video footage of me performing mother uh when i was doing acoustic punk at the college open mic night uh that i used to do every week and i would do a cover of mother and a couple of little punk punk kids in the front row loved it. So uh, I'm not <laughs> I'm no slouch when it comes to Danzig, let me just say. But I haven't heard the one in your I mean, not many about, people so. have. I mean, it's Check not like a, uh, <laughs> a great record. But it, for me, that was actually, uh, once again, I heard it through a, a friend. Uh, and uh, then I started going backwards and listened a little bit more. But that one just kind of stuck with me. It was also... Uh, between this and uh, the uh, the poem part of uh, Moody Blues's Nights in White Satin, that one always used to freak me out for whatever reason when I was a kid. Um, the cold-hearted orb that rules night. <laughs> that part I listened to one time going home, and I was coming back from like Grass Valley, and it was in the woods, and I was like, we're going to die. But yeah, that's neither here nor there. Hey Eric, when you um, when you did that those acoustic punk night, were you wearing that that like hacky sack hat that you had? Oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that was back. You met me at the tail end of that era of my life when somebody else was dressing me. My God, yeah. <laughs> Yellow pants and clogs. My God. Okay. That, I mean, the acoustic punk was the only way I could express myself. I wasn't allowed to dress. I wasn't allowed to dress the way I wanted. <laughs> All right. Next. Oh, I, I forgot to tell you what movie I would pair with Burial. I guess it would be the best ghost story of all time. Devil's Backbone. All right. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, next. Um, this is a, uh, maybe you guys didn't think about it, but it should come as a surprise to nobody. Uh, that back in when I was deep in rap music, a little uh, Sacramento gentleman named Brother Lynch Hung wrote some pretty terrifying songs. Nine o'clock, y'all. Mm. Now I'm the type of nigga that'll leave a horse head in your bed. Sleep with your wife, then commence the knifing. Get away clean with the scheme, Glock 17 in my lap. As I creep away in the black Cadillac, cause you know I got shit to do. Fake ID, cause I've been murdering motherfuckers like HIV. As I creep real slow through your blood. He came, his first album, I believe, was like 92. And by 95, he was putting out an album called Season of the Sickness. He was a collective of Sacramento gangster rappers. Um, 
that really, I mean, it was West Coast gangster rap, like drug deals, drive-bys, and they were they were name-checking all these places in Sacramento. So it was very real to me as like a teenager listening to it. But he was a little different. His way of... Uh, I mean, what, what was he saying? Like, you know, and then he got his leg snapped off a floor in. Like, is that, like that, was that the, you know... Oh, Discovery yeah, yeah. Park, it's going down again. Oh, yeah, they would talk about Discovery Park. They would talk about Miller Park. They would talk about uh, the Garden Block. They would talk about, oh, yeah, all the all, uh, Greenhaven. Um, but uh, Brother Lynchung took a different approach. He was going to strike fear into his, uh, his enemies, um, which I believe he was a crip, so he was trying to scare the bloods by saying he would eat them. And he wrote his first couple albums were cannibalistic And the beats were great. It was done by Funk Beta, a local a local producer, who would do these really like low key synth beats with these ghetto flutes going on. Um, I think that could combat a lot of the stuff that he was that Death Row was doing at the time. Um, pretty decent beats. And he would rap uh, like in the song "Loke to the Brain." He would talk about slugs in your throat and put your guts in my coat before I hit the night. Uh, <laughs> or uh, rest in piss. He talks about shooting somebody. And then he's got nuts and guts all over his chest and stomach. And then he's got. Uh, like five songs just about eating his eating people and he tried to like create this mythology about himself that he was like a cannibal which is which is ridiculous but because he was calling out like local landmarks and doing it in a, in a, in a way that totally matched what gangster rap sounded like he became like the scariest gangster at least locally um uh definitely people were like oh man brother lynch is, is fucking scary um and I, it was all show for sure um, I think I remember like an interview with him later. Like I would read, read an interview in murder dog magazine when I was really into rap, um, where he's like, yeah, I just hang out with like metalheads and punk guys. Like that's, that's what I'm into. I can't go to, I can't hang out with rap guys. They all want to kill me. Um, anyways. Uh, so brother Lynch, absolutely ridiculous over the top. And he went on to like, to take that to new heights with like horror rap, which became a thing. Um, I believe he and tech nine, like did a couple albums together. Um, he had a song. We might, called, we might, we might hear a little bit about horror rap later. <laughs> he would talk a little bit about. Uh, oh, he had an album called uh, "Manable Lecter" or whatever. Like he just he took it, he took it pretty Hollywood as it as it as it went on. But um, it's undeniable the guy's got a really good flow. Like the guy can change up his speed um, throughout his rapping. That's pretty impressive, especially for gangster rap, where actually technique takes a back burner over like street rapping. <laughs> I got that nine mile 
from the reps of the depths of the double O beast folk. Block with a Glock in a pocket full of that sash. You better wear a bulletproof vest when I'm at your set. Better pack you a tech, cause I'm at your neck with a clip full of that shit. Nigga, don't trip when I put one in your dick. That rip gut cannibal handleable shit. Nigga, nuts and guts all over my chest and stomach. Running to the lack, through my strap in the back. Twist me up a So, uh, Brother Linchung, at least for a couple albums, was a force to be reckoned with. He had to make my list. Eating baby brains, baby guts, baby spines. Oh, yeah. Baby killing's fine while I'm peeling back the neck. Yeah, he had a song about killing babies. That was something. That was really something. Um, so, yeah, not necessarily recommending that to anybody at all. But, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Eric, there's, I don't yeah, I don't even want to. I'm not even I'm going to pick for you. There's only one movie you can pair with uh, Brother Lynch. Well, it had to be the movie he made called now eat correct or are you talking that's about right. uh ravenous no, that's what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah, yeah ravenous is good but no, no no now eat which was uh, if i remember correctly the movie cover was him like at a barbecue with a smock on like looking like he just ate somebody yeah blood all over him and like like intestines in front of him yeah he yeah now Eat was once he he kind of started going hollywood he made a movie where it was like him and his friends like they all bought houses in Natomas, which you don't know what that is if you don't live in Sacramento, but they, it was like their idea of mansions and uh, like rapper, <laughs> man, rapper mansions. And uh, then suddenly somebody like double crosses him and he, and he decides he's going to, and then he, he, Oh, then he gets cursed by a local witch and then can't help himself. He has to start eating people. He, he can never be satisfied until he eats somebody. And uh, anyways, that was him doing some like retconning of his backstory. <laughs> So, you know, you know what they say. I mean, when it when it comes to Sacramento artists, there's a Magnolia Thunderfinger, there's Tesla, and then there's Brother Lynch. That's the top three. That's right. Deftones. Sorry, guys, you got knocked out of the top three. Uh, yeah. All right. Sorry to take up uh, five minutes of your time talking about Brother Lynch. We can move on. <laughs> well, it, it was amazing. Like I could, the entire time, I could hear Mark just wanting to jump in to say so much, but he. Uh, you just you just shut him out because he has he has a lot of my one story on brother lynch Lynch. i was working at the record store up in Folsom, and uh him his wife and his two kids uh went to the dmv that was next door and while uh kevin had to get some things done get his either license renewed his kids and his wife just were shopping and he comes in all probably five foot three of them and uh looking normal gathers his family, walks out. That's my Brother Lynch story. <laughs> ah, yes. Brother Lynch sightings. Yeah, they, they, it's, it's, it's a thing. Sacramento gangster rappers, they're just like you and me. <laughs> they, they need driver's license like everybody else. Yes, and another man that may or may not own a driver's license is Denmark's King Diamond, who is my number three. Singer for Merciful Fate is a 
I'd say he's kind of metal royalty to an extent. He's been releasing music since the late 70s, early 80s with Merciful Fate. They put out two albums and an EP, and then he started his own band called King Diamond, and they've been putting he's been putting out music ever since. Uh, he wears corpse paint. Uh, he kind of he kind of not corpse paint where he looks like he's undead, more corpse paint where he looks like he's some kind of a voodoo worshipper, and he wears a top hat, and he's had that look since the uh, the early eighties, and I it, it, what really hooks me about King Diamond is a few things. Uh, one is that his voice is incredible. Uh, he has. Uh, He's, he hits like seven octaves. He can do really high falsetto, which is almost ridiculous at times. And then at other times, he can do low guttural growls. He also has a mid-range, which is just perfect. And he uses this range in his songs back to theatricality to tell stories where sometimes he plays different characters in his songs. And you know who he is depending on the pitch and the tone he's using. Um the bands that have always backed him up have always been really great, but that's all just the musicianship side of things, which is very tight and very good. Uh, really good thrash metal, sometimes dips into progressive, really great melodies. He has a sense of humor. He has a song called No Presents for Christmas, which is one of my favorite rock Christmas songs. It's preposterous. The song is just what it is in the title. It's No Presents for Christmas. And, uh, but... You take all that. You take all the, the music's good. The, the 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 thrash metal is good. The rock is good. The songwriting is good. The lyrics are pretty good uh, for what they are. The lyrics though are telling stories that are something along the lines of like you guys. You guys remember like flowers in the attic, BC Andrews type shit. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, a lot. A lot of his solo albums are basically if you take BC Andrews stories and then you just make them satanic. They're they're about a house in the bayou. Someone comes home from the war. And the ghost of their grandma is haunting them. Or it's about a mansion in France. Uh, someone finds it by accident. And there's the ghost of seven old druids haunting it. And each song tells the story of what this person that's being haunted is going through. Uh, I think he does a really great good job of it. And also, I mean, he's got, a, he's got an album called Give Me Your Soul, Please. And I just love that kind of shit. Uh incredible incredible vocalist behind him has always been great great uh, musicians and uh, he tells a fun story has really good album covers the mid 80s the mid 80s to the early 90s albums are great and then he put out an album in the mid aughts which is probably my favorite album by him which is called uh, The Puppet Master and it's about a couple that goes to Budapest and they get kidnapped by someone called The Puppet Master and they wake up and he's turning them into puppets and they spend an entire album uh, of these people that have been turned into puppets singing songs, how terrifying it is to have become a puppet. It's uh, it's great stuff. I, I'm a big King Diamond guy in Halloween. I listen to him more often than I do the rest of the year. Uh, but I always do go back to him. I, I got into him in my early twenties. I don't know how it exactly happened, but for a brief stint, I was playing music at a, at a bar in Sacramento uh, like once a month. And it was only because I was friends with one of the guys that worked the door. 
no one came, no one cared. But I, I, I started putting on King Diamond albums because no one was listening. And one day, and one day, some British guy comes up and says, "Oh yeah, King Diamond," and uh, that always stuck with me. That made me very happy. And that song was a mansion in the darkness, which right there, I mean, the song title tells you everything you need to know. It's a mansion in the darkness. Coming upon this mansion in the darkness, and it creeps you out. But I tell you what, the guitar riffs—they're not creepy; they're goddamn great. And uh, I could talk about King Diamond all night. There you go, King Diamond, my number three. Steve, you gave me a playlist of King Diamond one time. I don't have a lot to say. I can totally see why you like him. It was a lot of fun. I will say the Abigail album seemed like a highlight. Like every song that popped up on the playlist from that was was significantly epic. I enjoyed that. Yes, Ab- Abigail is his well-known album, so much so that he made a, uh, a number two, Abigail 2. And, uh, yeah, sometimes a falsetto, I mean, you texted me, whoa, falsetto, uh, it could be a bit much, but I think it's perfect. Um, one song I think if people want to check out uh, the more palatable, less dramatic side of King Diamond is seek out the song Come to the Sabbath which is uh, during the Merciful Fate days. And I, I, Merciful Fate, to me, they almost sounded uh, kind of like a uh, a thrash metal version of Morrissey, which sounds terrible and if you say it out loud. But I think that's what they were actually pulling off. And I'm not just saying that because I used to have a T-shirt that someone gave me, which was a photo of King Diamond, and then Morrissey's name written out, but it was in, in like black metal font. And I really like that T-shirt. But... uh. I, I could, I, I could talk about King Diamond all night. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just I'm a big fan, and uh, yeah, the, the 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 album covers with a mansion, and then you know you flip it around, and there's songs about drinking tea with his grandmother who's trying to kill him. It's just ridiculous, great stuff. So <laughs> there you go, King Diamond. And it actually, yeah, if you do, if you do see him live, he does when he plays songs about his grandma that was trying to kill him. Someone comes out dressed like his grandma and chasing him around the stage. It's it's priceless. Cool. <laughs> it is it is a complete blind spot for me. Um, I I will have to give them, you know, run them up the flagpole, so to speak. Well, actually, it, Mark, it isn't. It is not completely blind spot for you, because you own Garage Inc. by Metallica, and yeah. they do a whole merciful well, fate right, medley then. on there. Yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember that, but uh, put it on maybe, maybe later tonight. Just, just the uh, Metallica "Merciful Fate." They play a medley of "Merciful Fate" songs, so I know you've heard those because you yeah, listen to that record. I mean, all it's the way been through. a while um, since I've uh, dug that one out, but uh, and they've always uh, "Merciful Fate" and "King Diamond" have always been cited as a uh, as a strong influence in the metal genre. So, yes. I'll need to do what I, every time you guys recommend something, I put it on the pile and one of these days I'll get around to it. All right. 
Well, I mean, it, it, please, please make sure you put it under burial, which, you know, that's, uh... um, all right. So now you guys have talked about music. We've talked about television shows. I'm going to talk about a video game that I really enjoy. And it's not the one that you guys are probably expecting me to talk about, at least not yet. Um, that one, it's uh, a Nintendo title. It was found on the GameCube, and that would be Eternal Darkness. Forces, lumbering, rotting cadavers. They are amongst us. It is one of my favorite all-time psychological thriller spooky games. Um, oh, I remember I, playing that. I thought you were gonna say. I thought you were gonna say Luigi's Mansion. That was a close second, um, because <laughs> there is a Luigi's Mansion three coming out, and uh, I re- just read an Onion article on some of the things about Luigi's Mansion three. Apparently, Luigi's not really scared of ghosts. He's scared about the fact that he's been living in Mario's shadow this entire time. So, uh, good stuff. But no, Eternal Darkness is a unbelievable game. It's an underrated game, if you ask me. Uh, it wasn't a commercial hit by any sense of the meaning. It should have deserved its own little sequel. It's a storyline that takes place over the course of centuries. Um, it has elements of even some of the Evil Dead or parts of the game. And I know we've talked about this on maybe a prior episode in passing. That as she's reading this, um, the player sometimes uh, starts to lose their sanity, and the volume of your TV starts to go up and starts to go down. All of a sudden, your game starts to crash. Um, it's really designed to really kind of mess with the player as the storyline progresses. There's strong character development, um, and it's not clunky gameplay. Uh, Steve, I know, was a fan of the Resident Evil games. That was a game uh, play that I just never quite got the hang of. It was like tank style controlling. Yeah, I, 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 I um, I do really appreciate some of the Resident Evil games, but I can't go back and play them because I, and I have the patience for slow things. But my God, those controls, man! Even when they tried to update the controls, I still can't get into yeah. it. So I know what you're talking about. This game um, was pretty simple. You know, you hit this button at this point, and it was just a straight across adventure type game um but just because of what the the game makers put into it by messing with the soundtrack messing with you know it, w- it was just a really strong immersive game that uh, i don't think has ever been quite touched upon on any of these subsequent future games but uh i'm not a gamer by any sense of the means but this one man sticks with me sticks with me and i sometimes just have a hankering to want to like replay it but those days are long gone of uh, me probably finding some emulator that could run it maybe. But uh, anyhow, Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem. Check it out. I do Sounds remember, good. yeah, you, you uh, that came out when we lived together, Mark, in Roseville. Yeah, and uh, that's right. You were you were very into it. And uh, yeah, very into it, I yeah. do. Yeah, there's a the, the sanity meter and everything. I thought was is pretty cool. Uh, I am. It is a genre I like. I, I do like, I guess, psychological horror, but also it had some of Craftian elements, and yeah, that's a. Oh yeah. I, I I'm a big fan of the world slowly turning against you, 
and uh, you know you're trying to just get your puzzles done, but you're going insane at the same time. I mean, it's a good metaphor for every day at fucking work. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's fun. That's a good one. I, I, you probably could easily find that in an emulator. I, I think actually, I, uh, you don't have like a switch, do you? I do not. No, I've I've thought about getting one, but just to play old school games. Yeah, you know? I'm pretty sure. I mean, those all those modern uh, Nintendo systems seem to have some kind of digital library of almost every era of Nintendo. And I bet you if you bought a Switch, you could probably play that on it. I'd, I'd That'd be great. You, I'd imagine you can buy it from the, 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 uh, the digital store. Yes. It's probably true. All right, Eric. Back to you. Yeah. Sure. All right, my next one... <coughs> When we started this, this was a gap. I didn't know this was probably would have been my five, but then I actually listened to the music and it quickly rose to my number two. I always enjoyed this ridiculous human being and how he looks. Mortis. serious i, I am serious that joke you, you, and there it was eric yeah that's why I <laughs> no listen i'm not saying for all time i'm saying for tonight i've got a lot to say about mortis so let me put him in my number two slot i'm not gonna say it's gonna stick <laughs> oh man I, like, like, no one know. can bring up mortis without me thinking of working at the dimple roseville location which I hope I hope people who listen to our show don't take a shot every time we bring up the record store. But we, I'm sorry, but my God, yeah. fucking! I remember That's... walking through the far yeah. right aisle where all the metal was down in the corner and just looking at those Mortis albums where the fucking guy dressed like a literal goblin and <laughs> just it was like the fucking troll from Cat's Eye made music. It's great. He it could be a <laughs> goblin or. Could be more because he seems like a D and D guy. He's probably a drow, which is a dark elf. Just to say, just say, just say. is uh, a man named Havard Elfesen from Norway, of course. Uh, he was the bass player in the band Emperor, and he started his own... Now, hold on, hold on. I don't know, Steve, you yeah, can probably talk. Hold on. Yeah. I love the fact that Eric's the one that brought Emperor up tonight. That, that warms my heart. Continue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I always thought he looked ridiculous, but then one time, see, I, 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 Mark totally made the joke that I follow these rivet head Facebook pages and I do somebody posted a mortis video and I was like, ah, fuck it. Look at this guy. And I played it and the song was good. It was like, it sounded like really dancey, synthy late eighties, early nineties industrial. And I was like, okay, okay. I can get into this. Um, and, uh, and then I looked him up and he, uh, he's as uh, he, his 
tapestry is as rich as you want it to be when you dig into it. He separates his out his 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 music by eras. Um, era one was his first ten years of existence, where every album like sounds like a soundtrack to a D and D campaign. It's all like instrumental synthy cathedral cathedral music that sounds like like uh like a dungeon uh and then uh no vocals whatsoever it's all like synthy and uh, uh instrumental music and then era two is one single album and it's the one where he's sitting and he looks like a caveman he's sitting from 2001 and that's the one that the song i heard that sounded like it was from the early 90s it's actually from 2001 smells like rain and that's his his uh, synth pop album and then uh, Era 3 uh, is a more like metal and industrial style sound, which is more guitar driven. And then his new era is Era Zero. And his last album, The Great Deceiver, uh, has a bunch of remixes by friend of the show, Chris Verena, that uh, just industrializes the hell out of it. And it sounds great. I totally enjoyed The Great Deceiver. I thought it was really cool. that you can fall into and it's highly engaging so uh ridiculous human being maybe definitely looks ridiculous um but shit make some good music why not i'm i'm absolutely i am surprised that you brought him up tonight but i i might give him a real shot uh all right that's fascinating <laughs> check out uh the song parasite god uh check out I, uh, if you or let's go in order. If you want to hear his synthy soundtracky stuff, check out I Die in My Dreams. Uh, if you want to check out his uh, synthy industrial, it's Parasite God. And if you want to check out some of his new Chris Verena stuff, check out The Doppelganger or The Shining Lamp of God. Those are both great songs. We'll, we'll do. Um, the, the, please send me a text. Uh, I, I will. I will use this moment that you know. When we are talking about things like this, I it does you know remind me that uh, on the podcast I'm the guy that's always trying to bring up metal bands when I can, and yeah, the entire genre of of black metal and shit I I do adore, and I could probably rattle off any of those bands is is one of them in my slots on this list. I'm trying not to because that's too easy, but I could I could definitely just do a top five of uh, bands from snowy places that play dark music that Steve's likes and. Uh, yeah, apparently Mortis, he, he's from that lineage, but I've never gotten into him. But uh, I'll check it out. Yeah, and his stuff never gets too too metally, I would say. It's it's all pretty uh, synth and some guitar, but yeah, definitely. I would say it would go more, I would say at worst, sometimes he sounds like uh, Scold <laughs> or, uh, uh, yeah, I'd say Scold, but with better, well, he's a better singer. Um, but at, at, at best he's, he's, uh, he's doing something interesting. And, uh, when I, when I listen to yeah. black metal, uh, 
my actually favorite type of it. I don't like it. Uh, I, I do you know, when they do sound evil. I find it amusing. There's actually what I do go to black metal for is I like it when black metal reminds me of like a very sad holiday or Christmas. Uh, if it's orchestral and it sounds like you should be listening to that on Christmas Eve and you're just depressed about the ghosts that might be wandering through the woods. That's the kind of black metal I like. Not as much killing a maiden and uh, offering her spirit to Shadrock. That's not that's not what I go there for. So that's uh, a <laughs> I don't know where, where I, when, when Mortis was uh, an emperor. I don't know which way he swung, but there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, you're next, Steve. Number two. Give me one second. Mark, what are your thoughts on Mortis? <laughs> I loved him in the labyrinth. I'm sure that he played one of uh, Jareth's little minions. He actually, he actually more looks like. Have you seen the film Legend with friend of the show Tom Cruise? Yeah, it's been a while, but yes. He looks like the lackey that works for the uh, Tim Curry Prince of Darkness. He looks more like that lackey. That that that's that's maybe who or, you're thinking of. Both, or, both Jim Henson creations. Did you ever see the movie? Uh, World of Warcraft, directed by isn't that directed by uh, David Bowie's son? Oh, uh, Duncan wasn't Jones. that directed by him? Uh, yeah, I'm sure that he yeah, was. Yeah, quite I did the not, expert I did in that not movie. see that film. Wait, did you guys actually? Did you actually see that movie? No, sorry, no. World of Warcraft no. is not my thing. I I didn't see it either, but I really like Moon, but I really hated Mute, so I might fall somewhere in the middle. Did either yeah, of you watch mute? I no, I haven't. I don't think I've heard no. of that one. I, I I wanted to, but then your review uh, was so bad that I couldn't even. I didn't even. Who was in it? In. It was uh, Paul Rudd and one of the Scars guards, and uh, who's that guy from the Leftovers? Justin Thoreau. Justin Thoreau. Yeah, and it was a. Yeah attempted some kind of Philip K. Dick thing that was released directly to Netflix and it was very trashy right. and very bad. So wow. I couldn't believe the same director of Moon made it. Hmm. Well there you go. Anyway, right, Steve. That's no moon. That's Castlevania, which is my number uh, two. out of Mark's book here and I was already thinking of doing this but then Mark inspired me to actually go through with it so Castlevania which is a series of video games which started out on the Nintendo Entertainment System it went on to the Super Nintendo the Sega Genesis the PlayStation and beyond really throughout my life I I always was a big fan of these games and uh, when I became an adult I revisited all of them and realized that, yes, the games were fun to play, 
but they were just buried with incredible artwork and music that I don't think I appreciate as much as a kid that made me as an adult just I actually go through and I put their soundtracks on and uh, when I got something to do or I want some atmosphere and their, their song titles such as uh, you know uh, Bloody Tears that's or to you know to finish the vampire such, such things as that uh, Castlevania it's you know, it's the story of Simon Belmont who has a whip who's a vampire killer and Dracula comes around like every hundred years and somebody from his family has to deal with him. But throughout throughout those games, they started out with like classic monsters. And as the games went on, they went away from the universal monster vibes and got kind of more gothic and haunting. And even though sometimes it was like 8-bit or 16-bit or 32-bit sprites, they did a really good job of having great artwork that stuck with you and made you actually, like when you turned it off, you might think of the... Uh, the harpy that was floating through or the, the man that had the head of a pig that was trying to kill you. Uh, they did, they did a good job, a good job of being just scary enough to where you thought about it later in the day. And on top of that, they were great video games, but uh, yeah, the, the whole, the whole Castlevania franchise is something that it, it's one of my favorite dark things. Castlevania. Yeah. I've never uh, nice. played all uh, of the Castlevania games, but uh Man, um, the what I have played. Uh, who was that? Was Capcom? No, it's Konami. Konami, that's right. And they are kind of hit and miss on how hard their games are. Um, and sometimes, if you didn't really want to invest in it, but Castlevania was absolutely playable. Um, good game. I love those side-scroller action games um, that uh, don't frustrate you too much. Yeah, and certainly create an atmosphere, and it's. Uh, for what technology that they had available to them, um, they still were able to give you something pretty enjoyable to look at. Did you ever did you ever play that one that was on the Super Nintendo? It was just called Super Castlevania. Yeah. That one was that yes. was fantastic. That was one where you, you could take the whip and you could swing it around, and they'd really use that mode seven graphic capabilities. It was a yeah, a lot of fun. And then of course, Symphony Symphony of the Night for the PlayStation is one of the greatest uh, PlayStation or video games of all time. Uh, it's 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 it it, it 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 helped create a genre of games called Metroidvania games, which is Metroid Castlevania type going through side-scrolling left to right, but also up to down, getting things in one room to unlock a door in another room. Uh, a lot of fun stuff. But what they really made sure they did was they had great music. There's a ton of metal bands that cover Castlevania songs for a reason, and they had a, a, a sense of gameplay that was awesome. And just the artwork. The, I mean, some of the some of the games had artwork by the same guy that does the uh, artwork for the Final Fantasy games, who I can't remember his name right now, but you know who I'm talking about if you've ever seen either a Final Fantasy uh, box artwork or Castlevania artwork, it's very, uh, if, very, 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 very pencil watercolorish. I don't know. It's great. Uh, it's the whole package coming together. I think Castlevania, even though they haven't made a great game in years, uh, for, for, for about two and a half decades, was a very fun franchise that really speaks to me when it comes to vampires. And also was a really good Netflix show. Uh, Eric, you watched it, didn't you? 
I yeah, I watched the I watched a couple episodes. I kind of stalled out, but um, I they, that the me and the kids are playing the first game now. We're we have the the NES Classic <coughs> and the SNES Classic, and we're picking a few games. And just when we're in the mood, we pick which one we want to continue on and and work our way through. So that's the one we're working on right now. The floating Medusa heads. They they are a bitch. And yes, well, the Castlevania game started in 1986. If you're really going to just play a couple of them to get the feel for why they've resonated with me and their sense of atmosphere and why a few years ago I played through every damn one of them again, too, uh, up until like the weird card playing game ones that came out, is you just got to go with just, just play Castlevania 3 on Nintendo and then Castlevania uh, Rondo of Blood, which was on the Super Nintendo and the TurboGrafx-16, I think. There's some versions of it out there that you can get on other systems. You definitely got to play Symphony of the Night. That's the one that everybody talks about. It's an all-time great video game, and it also has the classic line, uh, "Man, what is a man? Nothing but a pitiful pile of secrets." And uh, yeah, if you if you just want to see got some of the music that really uh, you know, there's a lot of bands that redo them. I mean, I mentioned Bloody Tears, but there's a few other tracks to seek out. Seek out Dracula's Castle. Uh, that's from Symphony of the Night. Seek out Vampire Killer. That's from the first game. That one is a jam. And uh, Divine Bloodlines is a fun one from Rondo of Blood. Uh, Lost Painting is another one off Symphony of the Night that I like. And uh, the just the, the in the Super Castlevania 4 one, there's a song called The Theme of Simon Belmont. It's amazing. Just type in Castlevania music and go to YouTube and have yourself a party. And uh, I think my neighbor's having a satanic party next door. Um, now the... Uh, dog barks there's dog barks but i think it's a human barking and uh the lights are all off and there's candlelight now i am not sure where this is going this evening Still in Good that stuff. arena of video games because um, I was thinking about other things that uh, have spooky elements, um, and we've talked about this this world of rapture before. We don't have to really get into it, but oh, uh, yes. that Bioshock first game is quite something. Um, I'm a big first person shooters guy. Um, I in your uh, my older age, especially when kids came on the scene, those are good games to just get in there, do a couple missions, blow off some steam, and then get out. Not these big sandbox games that you get lost in, where you're doing all these side quests, and um, you're just—it's too much time to do, especially when you don't really have a whole lot of downtime. I don't have any console games in the house anymore because um, having two kids has really eliminated that until they get older. But this game um you're essentially not in a third person perspective you are only seeing it in the first person which see and hear things going around you and a lot of times when we would play video games um i would be listening to headphones and so just the uh, the soundscapes and the sound design and just 
having to walk alone through the dark, and then sometimes you see little eyes peering out of holes as from the little sisters. The character of Andrew Ryan um, is essentially Republicanism uh, and this whole Ayn Randyism that uh, our former Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, um, used to espouse. Uh, that's essentially the nightmare scenario of what it's like without any sort of government regulation um, and people thinking that uh, in order to really be free you have to separate yourself from the rest of civilized society create this so-called utopia that gets dissolved into absolute chaos and madness um, and it is uh, a philosophical game the body count is obviously very high for a first-person shooter there is a little bit of strategy rather than doing some run and gun. It has a very immersive storyline. Part 2 is just a straight ahead sequel that really just adds more of the world that you discovered in Part 1. Part 3 though, um, that game should be talked about in college courses. Um, and uh, it is an absolutely brain melting ending that I remember setting down my controller when I finished Bioshock Infinite. And um, just sitting there, just thinking about what I had just played. It was it's quite something. I've never had that experience through a video game before. Old um, man Comstock. Oh, man. I know. The, the first game is not directly related to the third game, but there is a connection. Um, there's always a man. There's always a lighthouse. And I can't remember the third thing. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, at least in that third girl. game. I think a girl. I think there's always a girl. A girl, a man, in the lighthouse. I think that's how they make the connection. And in the third Parallel game, universe. In, the third, in the third game, there's a Beach Boys song, which is incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, God, I love those games. They create a lot of atmosphere, but the most, the, the best one that really hooks you in is, the, is that first one. Andrew Ryan, man, like some of his quotes, like even though he's a despicable character... I sometimes just can't help but think of what is a man, <laughs> you know, those whole little well, yeah, monologues. As long, as long, yeah, as long as you don't become Paul Ryan, you're fine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But there you go. That's my number two. Well, I, I have a, I, I, I enjoy that game, and it does suck you in, and the kids won't even be around me when I'm playing it because the sounds terrify them. Um, probably. So is that your is that your excuse uh, for not finishing yet? You coward. No, I just don't. My attention span for video games, I like them, but I like a good movie maybe better. I like, I just, I do play it every week in little chunks. And I will say, I started the game right after we recorded our, um, our Nothing Records episode, <laughs> our, our five year gap from Nine Inch Nails. And I'm finally now so close to finishing it. So close. I'm in the last area. Well, good at, for at you because point. as soon as you're done with it, you're going to go that, jump right to part three. So. <laughs> all right i'll be happy to because it's a it's, it's an amazing game everything you said mark i echo it's 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 great and for playing it for the first time i will say it's it's it's, it's enthralling yeah i just have a i have weird gaming habits that's why i'm not done with it yet if i if i was a true gamer it would have been i would have finished it in a weekend well it's not the first time that you've admitted you have trouble with commitment so that's fine <laughs> Except to you guys. You guys you guys are my true my true my true hearts for sure. All right, Eric. What's your number one? All right, I guess 
yeah, my 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 last one. Uh, <clears throat> I considered leaving them off just because it's too damn obvious. Um, but I went with Skinny Puppy. time but their whole thing is that they're a little spooky um i mean obviously you could start with the singer uh ogre does you know he will range between almost a poppy sounding voice to uh a guttural monster voice um but he never goes like full cookie monster like he's always got rhythm melody and um and 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 and, and pretty good delivery um, I also never think he gets too far into the theatrics. I know when they play live, um, he's can be covered in meat or he can come out like a scientist and cut up a fake dog or something on stage. But I, when you listen to the albums themselves, um, he's, he, he never expects, expects you to have the visual component. He, he does it all in the moment, which is great. And then the music uh, Kevin Key and now Kevin Key uh, and Mark Walk working together. Um, you know, it starts off, you know, there's there's some creepy sounding synth lines, um, a overlapping noisy drum thing, and uh, oftentimes some cut up, shredded up guitars. Uh, not all their songs are scary, but if we're just talking about scary stuff, highly recommend songs like Tormentor, Testure, Grave Wisdom, uh, uh, to accompany their music. Um, and uh, I think Skinny Puppy pairs perfectly with any number of early Cronenberg body horror films, like The Fly or The Brood. So, uh, massive fan of this band. I could not do this episode without talking about them because I you can't get through in October without listening. What's that, uh, what's that sample from Grave Wisdom? It's like an old witch. The... Make sure or... you're properly dead before you start oh. old Rippy. and that that's actually from uh, an animated film by the same people that did watership down about animals being tested uh, Mark on got it right though. yes i forget what the name of the movie is. yeah yeah no that's that's gesture um in the book assimilate a critical history of industrial which i recommend anybody with a passing interest in industrial music the chapter on skinny puppy is great and kevin key once said uh yeah, I mean, we are we are into animal rights. It's been important to us. But really, we were trying to find a way to show people that we're really into horror. But we can't just do that. We wanted a smarter way to do that. So we we used our, our passion for animal rights to tell horror stories on stage and in our songs. So anyways, they're uh, 
that, that that's interesting. So I'm a uh, yeah, massive fan. Great, great October. Yeah, and I remember when I when I was younger and I skinny puppies just sounded scary to me when I finally got around to them. I actually put them off for a while because I didn't know what to make of them. And then when I finally did, it clicked into place. Uh, I yes, there's music there, but man, it's behind some weird, scary stuff. And when you're younger, it it seems even more frightening. And it, it's not just the the lyrics or ogre's scary voice. It's that a lot of it is just really discordant sounds that make you feel uncomfortable, uh, but not in a painful way. Uh, yeah, they're they knew what they were right. doing. And I, I I recently I mentioned this to you. I went through. And uh, I've been doing a lot of road time for work. And, uh, man, I didn't like that. Uh, I've always thought that their uh, their post-reunion stuff was okay. I went through and listened to every one of their uh, albums since the turn of the century. They're actually all, like, B-plus stuff, I think. Uh, since since they right. got back together, yeah. I think all those albums are actually really good. And that uh, they're really... They didn't. They didn't abandon what made them them, but they also really like found a new found sense of melody uh, and uh, instrumentation that I think really works well for that group of musicians. I I highly suggest anybody checks out either the Greater Wrong or the Right Weapon, uh, any of the other ones that Eric probably named that I can't think of right now. And and over Myth Maker. Yeah, that's yeah. another good one. And Myth Myth Maker. Yeah. Yeah, and that stuff's maybe less scary, but um, and more influenced, more more informed by Ogre's solo career that he had in between. Um, but um, but nonetheless, great great stuff. So, anyways, we've talked about Skinny Puppy on this podcast so many times. Maybe we turned on one one new person. Here. That would be that would make it all worth it. Yes, Skinny Puppy is by far uh, just an all-time classic. I can understand they're not for everybody. And they're not a band that uh, I think is just solely getting by on theatrics. Because even now, if you were to uh, see Skinny Puppy live, they do a lot of screen stuff, um, but not so much a lot of theatric um, that they used to do. Like Ogre uh, would really do some crazy stuff. If you ever watch um, the... uh, Fuck, what's the name of the live album? Um, ain't ain't, ain't it, it Dead, dead yet. yet. Exactly. Um, that's a uh, that's a feast for the eyes, because they definitely are putting on more of a performance art. A uh, friend of the show, uh, his name is Max, um, who, who was very into um, Skinny Puppy. He saw them in their heyday, and there, a lot of fake blood, a lot of putting up sheets, and him wearing like scissors for hands and slashing the sheets, and blood would just go everywhere. Um, so... Certainly, I think they've toned it down in their in their live uh, uh, incarnation today, but uh, still great, still theatrical, but uh, just strong songs. Um, I, th- I think there's always melody to be found in the dissonance that they provide, and they're great.
That's right. All right, uh, Steve. What's your what's your one? Well, you know, I've had a uh, I've I've gone through things in my thirty eight years. I've hung out with some less than noble characters. I've made some strange friends along the way. And maybe at times I perhaps dabbled in uh, types of art or music that are less than reputable, but still strikes a particular tone or scratches a particular itch that I wanted scratched. And maybe even to this day, even though I wouldn't really call myself a fan since I was 18 years old, I will say that when it comes to the topic of spooky or haunting music, or perhaps music from a dark carnival, that my number one is the insane clown posse. can't take this joke any further i'm sorry no they're not <laughs> did, I, did i did i did i have either of you for a minute there did you think yes 100 percent. i was like here we go we're gonna talk about the three joker cards and uh <laughs> no if anything i was like so this can't be as number one because i know what his number one is and it's not this band no but I, actually dear listeners i mean we will say let's let's air it out here i did dabble with the dark carnival when i was a teenager um it was the late 90s, and whoop, that was a strange whoop. time. It was a strange time for everybody involved. Um, Did you – can I ask you a question, though? I never actually figured this out because I know you were way into to insane. Uh, let's, Austin, define, let's define way you, in. All right. It was like um, six – Painting right, your face you, and making sure that Fago was in the fridge. Uh, Anyhow. I mean, yes, you told me question? some stories that, I, that you swore – you told me some stories that you swore me to secrecy about, but those stories would imply you were way into them. But uh, let me ask you this. Were you into them like in conjunction with, say, like Nine Inch Nails at that time? Or did you put everything on hold? Oh, no. Unlike you, Eric, I didn't abandon one thing to go dance around with another. I was able to multitask. Okay. You should look into it. Just because you want to go, you know, become a No Limit Soldier. Or because just because you want to go work for the Dark Carnival doesn't mean you need to abandon Trent Reznor. That's a lesson you had to learn the hard way. That's true. You're absolutely right about that. So anyhow, that's I think that's the first time someone's ever tried to scold someone else for being a fucking juggalo instead of a no-limit soldier. Uh, <laughs> 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 yes. Mark called it, and I tried to rewrite my list because he could have predicted it. But of course, when I talk about this time of year and I talk about uh, people that sing in a way that makes you wonder if they're okay inside and the color black, my number one, of course, is typo negative. Get your, get your, get your, get your. 
Type of Negative is a great band. Peter Steele was a great man. They they had a sense of humor, but they uh, they also sang, you know, some of their biggest hits was Black Number One, which was about a woman that couldn't go out because she didn't have enough hair dye. Or, uh, you know, My Girlfriend's Girlfriend, which is right there in the title. But among those funny songs was really good haunting tracks, like the track that closes October Rust called Haunted. Or, uh, you know, Christmas Morning, which is all about just coping with death on Christmas. And I said I like Christmas-related songs. But Type of Negative in general, I mean, they started off as a New York hardcore band. And then they slowed it way down. They added keyboards. Peter Steele dyed his hair even blacker than it was and sang like a vampire. And I subscribe to every one of their records. And while while none of them are, you know, the, the, the poster children for something that would scare you, there was definitely elements of darkness there that when I think of something spooky, I, they're in my top five. And in addition to Peter Steele, who we always think of, with type of negative, you had Kenny Hickey on guitar, Josh Silver on keyboards, and Johnny Kelly on drums later in the band. And uh, they started in the, the late 80s, more of a hardcore thing, and they really found their gothic metal sound in the 90s, and they kept it up until until the end of uh, the aughts in about 2009 when uh, poor Peter passed away. And may he rest in peace forever. We love that guy. And uh, I might rest in peace forever if... Whatever's going on in my neighbor's house makes its way over here. Again, guys, I'm sorry if I sound like my mind is elsewhere. I'm trying to be present for our recording. But she now the taco tree chants have become some kind of belligerent howls. And I am not sure if I should check on her or if I should go check on my family. This is very interesting. Uh, anyhow, uh, type of negative. I, I, I love it when autumn rolls around. I, I put type of negative on. Uh, they, they had a a, a, v, a DVD VHS that I owned called Type of Negative After Dark, and there was this footage of Peter Steele, who was their lead singer. If you haven't gathered that by now, he was a six foot seven hunk of a man, and he rests in peace. He died in 2009 of heart failure, and he's standing at a uh, a lake in like Upper New York somewhere, and he just looks around. And he says, "Oh." You know, I love the autumn. I love the colors. I love the stillness. Yeah. And that's that's type of negative to me. And uh, amongst that love of the fall colors, there's also a lot of songs about your girlfriend dying, being sad about it, and trying to get through a day without uh, finding a reason that, you know, you might do something to get you put in jail. And uh, they all wore a lot of black and green. They had awesome guitar solos. They had awesome keyboard solos. And Peter Steele sung like a vampire. And he was very uh, romantic about it. And he's definitely not the scariest or the most haunting of the people I brought up. But of all the people I brought up, he's definitely my favorite. And uh, his band was part of that too. So Typo Negative. There you go, Mark. You guessed it. I did. I, I enjoyed Typo <laughs> Negative. Uh, we got to see them together live uh, at Slim's together. That was a fun show. Um, Peter Steele was drinking an entire bottle of wine on stage. He, he had a great sense of humor as usual. Yeah. I remember him saying, uh, he was like, oh, so, so here's another rice treat. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, when they talked, they talked like they also had a New York cab stand. Um, like mm-hmm. one of the guitar players, he just looked like a Ratso Rizzo character from the Muppets. It was just, yeah, no, they, they, they all were like, yeah, they all had a lot of personality. They all were very New York. It, it was funny. They were all very New York, but as soon as they went into a song, you know, they were playing their, uh, their, their New York vampire persona would kick in, but then as right. soon as the song was done, they were, uh, you know, uh, guesting on the Howard Stern show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're a fun band. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I haven't revisited them uh, in a while. Um, some of their stuff makes me smile. Like, loving you was like loving the dead. And then uh, it's got a part in that song, loving you was like fucking the dead. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a, they're they're a good band. They obviously uh, they were in on the joke, but not necessarily a parody band by any means. But they just knew that uh, we can have fun and be serious at the same time, and sometimes even the same song. So it was it was good stuff. Yes. If I had to pick one song of theirs that I think is just their absolute greatest song, that's uh, uh, "Love You to Death" off October Rust. It's a, uh, it's track three. But it's the first real song. The first two tracks are like goofball, weird sound effects. That song is great. Uh, the band uh, Paul Bear did a cover of it. And uh, I think anybody should check that cover out. It's actually really good. Um, Eric, I remember a few years ago, I was like, dude, Eric, why don't you listen to Type of Negative? You would love this. And uh, that's the album I suggested to you. October Rust was their most popular album. I don't think it's their best one, but it definitely, if anybody wants to get into them, that's the album that I think they should start with. Yeah, I remember listening to it while I was I had headphones on. I was cooking Thanksgiving dinner and uh, I was loving every second of it. It was, it was good stuff. I need to do uh do a deep dive and fully appreciate I've been I don't know why I've been holding off for so long. Maybe this is the year. All right. <laughs> to close the conversation out on spooky things and spooky bands. Um so this thing uh made a lasting impression on me from a very young age to even to who I am today and I get very thrilled every time I get to share it with my kids. Um, it is something that uh, brings me joy, but used to bring me terror. And that is the haunted mansion at Disneyland. <laughs> and hinges creak in doorless chambers, and strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls. Whenever candlelights flicker, where the air is deathly. Still. I love that ride. So goddamn it's amazing! Much. Um, oh, good. I not to the point where I'm dressing up as any of the characters, but any time that I go on that ride, I always notice something new. I always look out for something new. Um, I like the narrative, the backstory about how the haunted mansion was created. It opened after even Walt died in uh, 1969. Um, at first, it was going to be developed as a walkthrough, where. Um, at first, they were going back and forth whether or not they were going to have like this dilapidated mansion, um, but Walt didn't want that in the park, and he actually went to the Winchester Mystery Mansion up in San Jose. He got inspired by all of the staircases that went to nowhere, and that's how big and sprawling it was. So he was like, "Let's make it like a, you know, New Orleans plantation house, and it'll look beautiful from the outside, but on the inside is where things will get weird." They even planned. That's like a. That's like a. a- that's like a King Diamond album. Yep. I, I love it. Yep. Oh, man, Mark, that's great. That's some good thinking outside the box. I, uh, 
You know, real quick, I do want to mention that with the uh, the Haunted Mansion, when I was a kid, my family went to Disneyland when the uh, the Indiana Jones ride just opened. And the line for Indiana Jones was all the way from Toontown to the front gate. And I was not having it. And so what I did was I just went on the Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean back and forth, back and forth for about two hours straight. That was a lot of fun. Speaking of haunted mansions, I think next door... My neighbor's house is now haunted, and I am going to go check it out. I hope I come back. If I don't, I'll see you guys on the next day. And then, um, so a couple of their designers, um, they had Mark Davis and Claude Coates, who came from two different backgrounds. Uh, Claude Coates, uh, he designed a couple of the different rides, um, and he loved to create atmosphere, and he was actually looking to make something pretty scary. Uh, whereas Mark Davis um, wanted to make something more kind of fun. So if you go on the ride, the ride starts actually scary, and that's Claude Coates all the way up until the graveyard scene. That's where Mark Davis came in, and that's where you get the song Grim Grinning Ghosts, where it becomes like a ghost party rather than um, someone hanging from the rafters at the be- very beginning in the stretching room. And as you go down the hallway, getting on board the Doom buggy, um, it's uh, it's definitely got more death to it at the beginning, and then it becomes a family fun affair towards the end. Um, so essentially another designer had to step in because those two fought like cats and dogs, and he was like, let's just do both ideas. We'll have a little transition, and then we'll, it'll, it'll, the ride will be done. It's a short ride. It's only around like eight minutes, all in all. But man, oh man, that fucking ride! When I was a kid, I couldn't. I, it was just terror. Sheer terror was going through me. I was hiding in my mom's like uh, armpit the entire ride. She was tr- encouraging me, like, "No, look, look, look! The ghosts are having fun." And uh, it wasn't until probably like middle school, because we didn't go. Uh, there was like long gaps of going to Disneyland when I was a kid. And the next time that I went, I was like, fuck. I mean, there are times, like, this has made such an imprint on my my subconscious that I have dreams where I go into the Haunted Mansion, some twisted version of the Haunted Mansion. And it's, it's a Disney version, but it's my own, like, subconscious coming through. This It's made such an impression on me, and I think that's why I keep sometimes going back to Disneyland to sometimes experience, like, that feeling of, true escapism where um it means something to me and like now that i have kids like one of the first things i said to vivian when she was born is i finally have a disneyland partner to go with because you know jen's into it but like it was just something that has imprinted upon me that i i just now love to get to share that with my own kids um and this ride, I tell you, it is it is something else. It is probably my favorite ride of all time. And I'm not a spooky guy by any means, but man, it means a lot to me personally. And I think that it, it sometimes frames how I view spook, spooky things. Like, it's just a ride, you know? Let's, let's just kind of put things in perspective. Even when I watch, like, a horror movie, and I'm not a horror movie genre because I think they're all kind of the same. But I just try to treat horror and things that terrify me as it's just a ride. That's awesome. I yeah, I'm a massive fan of uh, that ride as well. 
I don't go to Disneyland nearly as much as a lot of people, but um, like once every 10 years or something. But uh, holy hell, what a good time. Um, and my kids were blown away by it. My daughter dressed like the uh, the ghost That's bride awesome. for Halloween yeah. last year. So, yeah, yeah. So it, it's awesome. I think we actually have, I think my wife had from a childhood, the vinyl of the... Uh, the, the haunted mansion vinyl, which has like a lot of the songs from it. And then has like this story that interweaves it all. It's pretty crazy. That's so we have that cool. over here. <laughs> I'll let, I'll let I, you, I, I'll I let think you I've borrow. heard like <laughs> some of that. Want, I mean, the grim grin, uh, grinning ghost. I mean, and also by the way, uh, I never watched the Eddie Murphy movie all the way through. It looked just stupid. But when I heard that Guillermo oh, del Toro yeah. was yeah. going to potentially make a movie of it. And I think it just stalled out. Um, they like Disney fun. gave him a like a big tour of the Haunted Mansion. He was going to create like a movie that was really based off of one character in the ride, the Hatbox Ghost, who they brought back um, in uh, just recently because when they initially designed it, they they couldn't figure out how to get the uh, the effect to work correctly. Um, but new technology made it work, and there is a narrative if you pay attention. At first, like there was a kind of direct correlation between that and pirates of the Caribbean, like a, a pirate comes back to kill his wife. And then it just kind of turned into this ghost bride that kills her husbands. And for money, she keeps getting married. She kills them. And you know, she's haunting this house, but uh, right. it's, it's a fun one. It's a fun ride. There you go. Wonderful. Good stuff. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm appropriately spooked and ready for the holiday. We did it. We did it, guys. What a beast. What a, or rather, what a boo side. <laughs> oh, man, the Crypt Keeper. He's alive and well in Eric Anderson. That's right. Love him. All right. All right. Let's call it. Let's call it. We'll be back uh, very soon uh, for the next day. Yes. We uh, we're almost done with the editing process and uh, come into your inboxes. So. That's right. Thank you, and we hope that we booed you closer to God. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and Steve says goodbye as well. Um, apparently, he has uh, left this corporeal plane into the spectral one. And that's good for him. Good for him. Good night. All right. Good night, Mark. <laughs> <laughs>